bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Barbara. And we have a packed show for you today. Uh, But first of all, you all know the work we do is work. And in this time in our politics and culture, where women are still treated as a luxury to the patriarchal system and not the core of an equity system, we're asking you the bad and bitchy community and you're part of this community by listening to this podcast to support us in the work we do. And when I mean support, I mean contributing as little as five or $10 a month to our Patreon or more. We always accept more. (laughs) We'll take more. We'll take more. We want to bring you additional content like videos. Remember those videos we used to do when we would read out the comments to our articles? Well, we couldn't do one for the McLean's article because we're strapped. Anyway, your Patreon contributions will go towards that, making that a regular feature. We could buy equipment, hire a video editor, a woman, of course, and provide you with lots more for you to enjoy while you're wondering if you're the crazy one for noticing that the world out there is falling apart and nobody seems to be able to know what to do about it. So support us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash bad and bitchy. And guess what? We, always, we also write stuff. So this week, Bad and Bitchy um, did a, well, we have a regular column at Hill Times that we reproduce on our website, badandbitchy.com. And this week, we were on Ed the Sox podcast talking about the loss of critical thinking in our discourse, which we will put up in the show notes. Yes, that Ed the Sox. Finally, we're on social. All our contact info can be found in the description of the episode. All right, let's get into it. This week, there Um, have been several university campuses have been swept with student actions and protests in the past week. Over a two-week span at Syracuse University, there have been 12 documented racist and anti-Semitic incidents, including racial slurs against black and Asian people, some incidents against Native American students, swastikas drawn in various places, emails being circulated and in-person incidents, most notably at a fraternity uh, where white supremacist manifesto was posted to an online forum and then airdropped. So they were actually two separate incidents of white supremacist manifestos being. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, It gets better. So there was one um, white supremacist manifesto that was a, a, I'm going to call it an original creation by someone who has not been named. And that was actually posted to an online forum for um, Syracuse University students. Oh. And then the second incident. Right, so they used university pro- like yeah. resources to resources, do this. Okay. It was at the library and all that stuff. And then the second incident is a copy of the manifesto authored by the perpetrator of the mosque shootings in March in New Zealand was actually airdropped to several students at the, at the school library. What? Okay, for those who don't know what AirDrop is, number w- either because you you probably have a Android. an Android or you're just old. <laughs> um, AirDrop is a neat little trick you can use to um, share files, videos, photos, contacts, map location. And, oh, it's the map location that goes through AirDrop. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically uses Bluetooth technology and you can literally AirDrop to people around you within a certain vicinity basically and it's like a neat thing that people use for music so in other words the person who dropped the manifesto must have been in the library it was a student it was a student a student or or someone who was in that or an admin Mm -hmm. or um or or a faculty person a faculty or or staff okay yeah so there are two it's 13 days Two separate white supremacist manifestos being circulated. That's on a in campus. addition to the other stuff that in we talked about. In addition to all of the other stuff, yeah. So, what was the response? So, the responses in multiple angles. I think the students, after the first two incidents, um, the students occupied the university's wellness center and they've been there for more than a week and they've been calling on. The wellness center, that's awesome. <laughs> 
that is that is some trolling okay yeah, it's it's perfect trolling i find you know what they could teach bill more notes some media savvy <laughs> honestly these students have been super media savvy uh so they occupy they've been occupying the wellness center and been calling for administrators to take um the hateful incidents more seriously uh because this is an ongoing thing that that has it's been a continuous thing um and it's also manifested in itself in a way that students are afraid of being on campus. So a lot of students are skipping class. A lot of students are leaving campus early for Thanksgiving and stating and the reason is being unsafe. You can't even trust unsafe. campus police. That's no, the whole thing. absolutely not. You can't even go to campus police because they're mm-hmm. racist too. Well, the thing is, the first few incidents, the school didn't take seriously. They were... I've noticed that. The schools don't take racist incidents seriously. No. Because, most likely, because it's people who... It's committed by people who look like them. Mm-hmm. So they say, see their kids yeah. in these students mm-hmm. who commit racist incidents and don't think it's a big deal and think that you just have to, you know, grin and bear it and get over it and yeah. put up a stuff, stiff upper lip. By the way, we're the only ones, racialized people, asked to do that shit mm-hmm. anytime a white man gets a fucking hangnail we're all supposed to drop to our knees and 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 hear about his plight yeah remember that empathy muscle i told you about yeah and and it's the exact same case here and i think there's a really big argument for and this is one of the demands that they have the diversification of uh staff and student response responding staff but also policy making staff on university campus you need to have people who look like your student body and who have shared experiences with your student body otherwise your uh, policies are not going to reflect that your responses to their needs and their in the incidents that happen on campus are not going to be good but basically coming back to these students so they made 19 demands for better safety so their demands focus on better safety, more professors and mental health professionals of color on campus, the creation of an anti-racism curriculum that effectively addresses modern diversity issues, and the implementation of a mandatory diversity training for faculty and staff. So Syracuse University has actually been in hot water and had a very toxic environment uh, for the past few years. I think since 2014 is where it's been really picked up. And there's been a notable lack of accountability from um, the university staff and the administration. Uh, Students who have been participating in this uh, protest for the past week have actually been threatened with expulsion and they've gotten a lot of death threats to the main organizers which unfortunately is not uncommon for movements like this yeah um new york governor andrew cuomo uh w- one of the people on my list of like i cannot anymore um he's honestly he's past his time yeah he just needs to go he really is like he is not equipped to handle some of the biggest issues because a lot of these issues are social yeah and um, that's what happens when, you know, with rising income inequality, mm-hmm. it is it creates an environment of social unrest and it destroys nations. Absolutely. Like I don't. Oh, right. But we're not. But remember, history is a wasted major. So, <laughs> no, I, I find if we're not getting into that. But basically, okay. Andrew Cuomo um, called for an inv- for an investigation, and even the FBI is involved now on the Syracuse campus because um, a lot of the incidents have been reported as hate crimes, and when that happens in the states, the FBI gets involved. But I think what's really notable about the students' response it is a multiracial re- student protest. Yeah. So you have students of color, black students, including the Black Lives Matter uh, chapter at Syracuse University, has been doing Black training. Lives Matter. Shout out! Shout out! They've actually been doing training for a lot of the students who are participating in this. That's amazing. To giving them act tools to survive in these environments and deal with the hostility that a lot of for a lot of these students it's the first time that they're in an openly hostile environment right it's not the first time that they're in a hostile but openly hostile environment mm-hmm. um there's asian students native american students and jewish students uh and there's there's this protest has showed a remarkable galvanization of racially marginalized groups um the community is really coming together and being and showing immense solidarity 
and they're tackling the administration from every angle with and they're being very tactful for and a, for like what for example so their 19 demands mm-hmm. they came from all the groups they didn't break the groups up which a lot of times university campuses will do divide and conquer exactly divide and conquer so the they British taught us that they taught them well um so they've been very good about sticking to that and being like this is coming from all of us you are not dividing us we are all that's why he signed all of them all well of he the signed 16 of 19 so like yeah a good six, chunk of yeah, them a good chunk of them uh yeah. they've been speaking with one voice and that has been rem- like really good and it's bore like it it's showing um they also have student athletes are now participating in the protests. This is what I found really interesting because if anybody knows Syracuse is over the past five to maybe 10 years has really, really um, be their Their basketball team is top notch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Syracuse think eight. one. There you go. Mm-hmm. Is that because they made the elite eight? Right? Yeah, yeah. They're okay. They're really good. So the NCAA basketball tournament, that March Madness, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, was it last year or the year before that they hit the Elite Eight? So based, uh, yeah. Sometime. Something recently. recently. Right? So um, when you get the athletes involved, mm-hmm. then the university understands money is involved. Yeah. And that's why it's important to get the athletes involved. They are the money, even yeah. though they until recently never made any of it. And it all went to the school. Most of them still don't make any. But yeah. And I say California. until recently because California as usual, which has to take America kicking and screaming into the into the future. OK, <laughs> well, I'm just saying it always starts in California, or New York, mm-hmm. and then Florida's last. <laughs> Because Florida, Florida, wow, Florida um, special. Yeah, no, and the student athletes participated in the protest and the most they could, of course, because they're because of the reasons you've just described. Yeah. They they have a different relationship to the school, so they yeah. have to be very careful on how they participated in yeah. it. But they wore the T-shirt with the logo that this the organ the main organizing group. Um, you mean the hashtag? Yeah, the hashtag. Not again. Not again. Oh SU. yeah, they have a logo. They have a logo. They have an Instagram page that's updating every day, telling people what's happening. The and the student- Instagram page is not again dot su. Yeah, not again su. It's how you can follow what's going on on Twitter and I also what's follow. going on it. It's really they've done a really. It's a beautiful. Again, as someone who like loves community oh my gosh this instagram page is amazing it's amazing it's very well done they have a timeline of events like it's a communicate like this is a lesson in uh protest and um community communication it's really good this is why this is why they (laughs) they could never do this with trans mountain (laughs) but like it's working and the admin has been this is an impressive page it's very (gasps) impressive oh my gosh and they the way they use Instagram is exceptional. Yeah. They're using it as day a campaign one, tool. Day two, day three, our mission, day four. Like they're chrono- they're chronicling. Yep. In um what do they call this part again? Oh gosh, which part is this? The um The stories? No, not the stories. Um the the mm. The little round things at the top. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I totally I totally blanked on what it's called. Highlights. Oh yeah. Instagram highlights. highlights. Yeah. They are highlight they're using one highlight per mm-hmm. day. Yeah. This is really, really impressive. I and I of course check it out. Because the thing is it has to be a faceless movement because the university has decided that they're going to like go after the people. So can we make a comparison to Hong Kong here with the faceless yeah, of movements? Course, yeah. And you know, I I tell you, like, again, Hong Kong Black Lives Matter has cast the die. The die is cast, sorry. Mm-hmm. Cast the die is cast when it comes to protests. Mm-hmm. And this really is an impressive piece of communication. Just to kind of, like, wrap it up. So the administration on the flip side of this reaction has been extremely slow and rigid. Naturally. And, the, at, and like I said, they didn't take the incident seriously at the beginning. So now that it's become now a big... PR nightmare for them. They They've do, decided they're terrible. At oh, it's PR. really bad. University administrators are the worst. They are devoid of any sort of humanity. Yeah, they have no what empathy muscle. 
None. 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 Okay. They do not actually, they don't weigh the, the, the costs and benefits of the pros and cons correctly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they do not understand, again, the power of social media. It's not only the power of social media, it's people who know how to use it. Yeah, people who know how to use it and know how to use it as a mobilizing tool. This exactly. Is, that Facebook, no, that Instagram page is not just a, it's a campaign tool. It's a mobilizing tool. It's a yeah. campaign tool. And if you want a lesson on how to build a beautiful campaign, it's very simple. It's not fussy at all, uh-huh. but it's very good. You need to, one of these days, you need to give us like like an organizing like 101. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, and like totally. I think it's, it's part of how you build movements. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. And they've built a movement. Yes, they have. No one was paying attention to this story until no. they decided, you know what? Like, it's it's a lot. Yeah. And I think the big piece, so once the university kind of was like, oh, okay, shit, like, this is problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been only focusing on physical safety and not mm-hmm. talking about the psychological effects of these incidents on these students mm-hmm. specifically. Microaggression Monday. Absolutely. And Should be it's, a thing. But they've also been peddling in the dangerous idea that university are safe spaces where people traffic in ideas. And oh, the free speech nonsense. The whole free speech nonsense. But they're not... Hate cons- is not an idea, people. Thank you. It is literally an emotional reaction to lo- to a sense of losing power. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it yeah. is. And it's also... It's not an idea. <coughs> These aren't ideas. No, but it's also Just racing. because they can be, like, enunciated and they can be communicated does mean not mean it's a fucking idea. Yeah. Okay. But it's also, like, you're not no one should say the first thing that pops into their head. You should like sit down, think about it, think about who you're saying it to and then fucking talk. But I think so that, that dangerous idea that they're peddling is also not considering the violence comes in many form. And it's a responsibility of the university to prevent psychological trauma for their student population. Well, yeah, I was, as soon as you said violence, I thought psychological Yeah, because that's what it is. And when we talk about violence, we are not just talking about physical violence. When I talk about, when we say silence is violence, we're not just talking about physical violence. We're talking about psychological trauma Mm -hmm. that changes the way you relate to the world you relate to the environment you relate to your community yeah because that's power the fact is that you know at the end of the day i you know people are i'm like this is violent people are like people only think of violence and physical in the physical it's space. so beyond that and it's so beyond that and i also want to put the next time any place you know your workplace your school whatever has a mental health drive you ask them where racism and microaggressions goes into that mm-hmm. yeah and, and sexism and sexism misogyny and misogyny and uh, anti-semitism anti-semitism exactly and not like the bullshit where they're like well you're anti-israel don't you're no 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 no. no. that's completely bullshit you need to have a real conversation of what anti-semitism means mm-hmm. yeah no there's a lot to break down there yeah. i think um but these students are experiencing an extreme version of the violence that a lot of people who go through the world looking like us go through. Um, And no one is thinking about that. Right. No one is thinking about it on the flip side. A lot of these students are refusing to give interviews with their names Mm -hmm. because they're genuinely afraid. Wow. They are afraid. And it's been there there's been some mobilization around them in terms of like community folks coming mm-hmm. around them and being like, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to support you, but they haven't, they've captured a little bit of the, the media, mm-hmm. but they haven't captured it. Like this weekend, there was a Harvard Yale, uh, protest action. Carry on. Let's, let's Harvard Yale. Yeah. Protest? What? I know. Right. Huh? But listen, it, when, when Harvard and Yale are getting <laughs> consumed by protests, <laughs> First of all, it's a new day, okay? It's a new dawn. Exactly, because I'm like, it can't be just black people there because they're like five. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. And Malia Obama. Like, like, you know Malia I mean? and Yara Shahidi are like two of the five anyway, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Yara would be there. Yeah, she is. They're roommates. Really? Yeah. No way. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no wonder. Okay, that, that 
okay that clears up a lot yeah, yeah, yeah if you don't know who yara shahide is she is the breakout star from uh blackish, blackish yeah who had now has the spinoff called grownish uh her instagram's amazing so follow her on she's instagram. also really great and she's also a hardcore good. like activist yeah, no, she's she, a black activist yeah she, very much so yeah and, uh, raised by an, a wonderful mother she's her so mother cool. is gorgeous, gorgeous. And it's just li- literally a darker version yeah. of, or she is a lighter version of her mom. Mom, yeah. Yeah. It, like, anyway, sorry. Go yeah. on. She's awesome. She has a uh, black and Iranian heritage. Too. Yeah. So it's, she's, she's a really cool person to, yeah. to follow. Yeah. But basically this weekend, in case you didn't know, and this wasn't on your radar because it's on no one's radar, unless you went to Harvard and Yale. No. There was a big, they have their big rivalry, li- ri- annual rivalry football game. It's been happening since 1875. Oh yeah. The 18. Why do I know this? I don't know. I have a lot of friends who are very weird. That's, that's why <laughs> that's okay 1875 uh, i believe that i'm like yeah i'm like when did slavery end <laughs> <laughs> right well then yeah <laughs> uh but uh that big game happened this weekend but it was disrupted disrupted by a joint action from uh false out of free yale the yale endowment justice coalition and the uh, the divest harvard um organizers um and what happened 150 over 150 yale and harvard students alumni and faculty stormed to the field to deve- to to, de- to demand divestments from fossil fuels and cancel holdings in puerto rican debt and private prisons uh the protesters uh stormed the field and clapped and chanted disclose divest and reinvest and organizers say several hundred more fans left their seats they actually left their seats to stand in the stands to join in with the protest. Unfortunately, as is in a, the case in a lot of these places, um, the school responded by deploying uh, the police. And by the time play resumed, several dozens dozen people were arrested for misdemeanor. were given a, were issued misdemeanor summons for disorderly conduct. Oh. They called the police. Yes. Shocking. They even called the police on Harvard and Yale students. Wow. See, school administrators. <laughs> They're shit. awful people. <laughs> Ain't shit. No, they are. Like, uh, like I, I, I'm just like, wow. And the thing is, their job yeah. is to make sure these students are safe. Yep. These are students who, this is the first time leaving home. Yep. For a lot of them, yeah. For a lot of them. Like, it's not like in... Canada where you know you go to the school closest to you and you live at home and stuff like no. that no they go away Way. to yeah. college right yeah. you're 18 years old mm-hmm. think about how fucking scary it is that you're being targeted yep. targeted well in this case it's also a little bit different right like these a lot of these kids come from families that have profiles and they'll be fine uh, but it's also interesting that even then, even if you're Harvard and Yale, you are still like f- being faced and responded to by police. Um, the group that uh, the organizers um, after their action, what the statement by the organizers after the action is also a really interesting read. If you have the time, a snippet, um, the group said Harvard and Yale claim their goal is to create student leaders who can strive toward a more just, fair and promising world by improving the world today and the future generations. Yet, by continuing to invest in industries that mislead the public, smear academics, and deny reality, Harvard and Yale are complicit in tearing down that future. They ain't wrong. No, and they're very, and it's a, actually, it's a very smart, interesting move. So they've been organizing since 2012. Mm. Most of these groups have been organizing since 2012. And they have been targeting, again, uh, Harvard and Yale and divestment and it's important to know that these schools have massive endowment um, funds and they're not transparent so you don't know where they're putting this money that comes from schools and alum etc from students sorry and alum etc um, I think this the statement is also super interesting because it reveals a growing tension especially on campuses that are supposed to be creating the best of the best and shaping leaders of tomorrow um and the so they reveal attention in the uncomfortable feeling of nonconformity. a lot of these campus campuses are saying like we want to create leaders of tomorrow but 
they want those leaders to conform. Yeah. And it's really creating a problem and a growing tension. And you know what else is creating a problem? Yeah. The fact that they're being held to the standard of their own words. Exactly. And that's what I'm finding impressive. In mm-hmm. other words, accountability. Mm-hmm. That's what these students are asking for. Yeah. So before anybody gets on their high horse and talks about students, this, I, I can't imagine anybody would think that while listening to this podcast. Yeah. But but the pr- the thing is, is that, you know, protesting is a right. Mm-hmm. It is not... It is not to re- it is not your right to be comfortable. No. And that's the thing is a lot of these schools are being like in theory you're supposed to be this leader and like you're supposed to be challenging things, but in practice we want you to conform. Well, I have a little tidbit to mention which mm-hmm. might have been drowned out by the whole cabinet discussion yeah. in the news. Uh Jonathan Goldsby of Canada Land wrote about the court striking down Doug Ford's attack on student groups. Mm-hmm. This was an intentional attack. So for, for you guys who didn't know, um, Doug for the Doug Ford government made a whole bunch of student fees optional, which on its face doesn't seem like a big deal, but once you can opt out of stuff, it me- it does. The effect is that it decimates student council. Yeah. It's had a devastating effect yeah. on campuses. and Which means, and it really is to keep you from, from to keep from these protests happening in, Amer- in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of this activism is brought on by student groups. Student groups get a piece of monies from, of the, of the pie from the student union fees yeah what that means is that if you want to protest climate change you are severely limited because the money isn't there Mm -hmm. organizing becomes severely curtailed and it's not surprising that they did this yeah well an ontario divisional court has struck down the controversial student choice initiative that decimated funding for campus groups by mandating that schools allow students to opt out of paying specific fees. Student newspapers and campus radio stations were widely affected. And I just want to shout out, I just want to say this. Um, uh, Student newspapers and campus radio stations are very important for organizing for communication, for talking about issues about the students for the students on campus. It is not surprising that that's who was decimated. They don't want you to organize. They don't want you to speak your mind. They want you to obey. Now, the unanimous decision, which you can, um, Goldsby has a link to, the three panel judge ruled that directives issued Um, by the Minister of Training, Colleges and Universities were unlawful because they ran afoul of the legislation governing post-secondary institutions, which guarantees a certain degree of autonomy. It was the Canadian Federation of Students and York Federation of Students that launched the legal challenge this past spring. I want you all to take a moment right now and... Thank your local activists, because I think that we think the change comes from the politicians. No. I had this discussion with one of my liberal staffer friends yeah. who I feel like if I say that he's not white, I feel like I've already like called him out. Like <laughs> Everybody's going to know. Um, <laughs> but a small group. Yeah. But, um, you know, we have we have we have <laughs> he literally said, hold on, we'll fight later. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's somebody I respect and um, and love talking about this stuff too, yeah. and and we we disagree all the time on a lot yeah. of things, uh, but I respect him. And I just he we were just talking about it, and he, we were talking about change, and he's like, "Well, we made change," and I'm thinking, change is structural. Yeah, real change is structural. What you guys have done is basically like just, you know, through you threw a couple of dollars at different groups. It's a layer. I think there has been like if we're going to talk about the liberal government and like, I think in some areas I've seen it more like Mm. in on the international stage. Okay. 
absolutely complete shift from the previous government. Yes, yes, yes. Complete yes. shift. Like the fact that that even was like prioritized in a lot of ways was a complete shift from the previous government. And there's a lot of good things that happen. And there's some stuff that wasn't great and not perfect and mm. will continue to be criticized. And like, hopefully there'll be more. But what I'm saying is both needs to happen. Yeah. And that's you the can't thing. sub out one for the other. No. They both need to happen together. Mm-hmm. So that's why we talked about Matthew Green. Yeah. And how exciting that was. Because she's that connector. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And structural change is uncomfortable as hell. Mm -hmm. It is uncomfortable. It is something that requires people to see beyond just the next two, three, four, five, ten years. And really plan long term. And that's why I think movements like 350 and like anything that's environmental right now any activism that is around that is like extremely scary for people who don't understand structural change right it's scary yeah all right so on to rant and receipts and now we're back with rant and receipts where we each pick a topic and rant about it and let the other one join in all right so do you want me to go first Yeah, go for it. Wednesday, November 20th, was the 20th anniversary of Transgender Day of Remembrance, which was started by transgender advocate Gwendolyn Ann Smith as a vigil to memorialize Rita Hester, a black transgender woman who was killed the year before. Since then, the sacred day has been celebrated across the world as trans activists, allies, and their beloved ones spread awareness about those the community has lost publicly and sometimes unknowingly. Right now, in America, they have observed a notable rise in the murder of black trans women, in particular in recent years, as more public awareness campaigns have taken off. At least 22 transgender and gender non-conforming people have been killed so far this year, according to the new report from the Human Rights Campaign, making the fifth making it the fifth year in a row at least 20 trans people were killed i'm just gonna break now and i'm gonna i'm i really wonder how many of them are killed by black men Mm. i would think a lot yeah there like i think when we speak of the epidemic of violence against uh trans folks and specifically trans women of color uh black trans women and latina trans women it there is a conversation that needs to be, you know how we talk about those different circles of conversation. There needs to be a circle of conversation within black communities around um, our violence towards uh, trans women, uh, because there is a weird fetishization of trans women in our culture, uh, but also a repulsion of their the their choice of gender expression and the weirdness that comes with that but yeah no there's definitely um a conversation that needs to happen within the black community when it comes to that violence yes it does and it's way overdue so um in so the grio who uh which is the website run by um oh joy joy from I feel like Joy from MSNBC. Mm, yeah, I know who, you, who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm blanking on her last name right now, but she's on MSNBC. I believe this is her like brainchild. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they set out five ways to show love for transgender. In other words, how to be a fucking ally. Here's but num- specifically for cis folks. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about transgender. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number one. Respect, acknowledge, and celebrate black trans people who are still living. So black trans people are, I would say, endangered. Yeah, it's an epidemic. Like the choice of the the choice of the word epidemic is very deliberate. Yeah. Um, And often when we have these moments of remembrance, we kind of there's a lot of sadness that comes with. Uh, the trans day of remembrance but some folks have like rebranded rebranding is not the right word but renamed it the 
trans day of uh, resilience and like um, resistance. And in a way there needs to be a celebration of those that are still with us because they, they are here and we need to lift them up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, debate less and listen more. I think we, uh, we all agree that that is yeah. pretty much that anytime you enter into a racialized space and you're not racialized, yeah. you're there to listen. You're mm-hmm. not there to exercise your chops. Okay. I also want to point out that, and this piece points out very nicely, a report from the National LGBTQ Task Force states that 34% of black trans people make less than 10000 a year. Yeah. With 41% of them reporting that they've experienced homelessness at some point in their lives. So listen to black people when black trans people specifically Mm -hmm. when they tell you about their struggle if you are um if you are blessed enough to gain their trust yeah and even if you don't gain their trust i think when no, for you, them to tell you for them to tell yeah and i think it's also one of those things it's it's extremely exhausting like we've talked about this for, from just but it's extremely exhausting and painful to have to bear your emotions and your lived experience yeah. to people yeah um, especially when you have to do it multiple times but it's also it's it robs you of dignity when you have to do it for people to care it also robs you of power mm-hmm. because you're depending on others to exercise their empathy muscle mm-hmm. for you exactly anyway uh the third one know your history okay thank you okay i'm gonna i'm i too i'm going to be both like speaker on this in a way and you know i am guilty of it too so popular phrases such as yes honey you better work no tea no shade wig snatching is that trans mm-hmm. yes yes wig snatching uh hell the reason we bake our faces basically mm-hmm. is because of because of transgender culture um and it's become vanguard culture by the way yeah uh you know that um that gif and i mm-hmm. that's another one gifs that's, that's, are another one yeah well a lot of drag culture yeah. as much as we drag in the past couple of years has like exploded yeah but a lot of drag culture comes from like the um, um underground um ballroom scene and that ballroom scene was very much created by uh, trans folks you you got me moving up pose on my list oh pose is amazing okay, I'm, I'm, like it's I'm, good yeah yeah and it's a good it's not perfect mm. there's some things once you watch it we can talk about it yeah uh but it's 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 a good way to understand that like trans folks have been around like don't even try and be like yeah they're like uh it's like i hate the people who are like um it's a fa it's a phase and a fad that the gen z has like brought up no this has been a thing and it will continue to be a thing for a very long time yes so how do you think that became a part of our vernacular black trans people Mm -hmm. the new york ballroom scene of the late 20th century was started by black trans and queer people who embraced a world of fashion music and culture that was denied to them in the public what came from this marginalized experience was the art form we know today as Vogue! Yeah, Voguing. Voguing, which many of you probably know from the popular television shows and movies like Pose and Paris is Burning, and if you're a little older, Madonna. Yeah, and she got that from black, black and brown trans people. Uh, so the next time you utter yes or shade, please remember to pick, you are you are taking the language of black trans culture. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I made this, I made this point this week too. Um, And I made this point at the podcast festival I was at where, Mm -hmm. where TVO was. Yeah. So TVO is like, yeah, we're, we have this, we have this podcast on, on, I guess, web language or internet language or something, something, something about words and language a lot of it like and some of the words are from the internet i raised my hand and i said you do know that that is black lgbtq culture Mm -hmm. and i just want to know how close are your um are your hosts to that culture to be able to give it the proper definition and Mm -hmm. nuance and 
and rounding that it needs. Yeah, and to keep it updated. And, you know, they gave me some little spiel, like we research shit or whatever. But, you know, I know that that, that ain't it. Yeah. Okay. No, we know exactly what that means. Yeah. And I think it's also important, like, coming back to the history piece, like, if you go to a Pride... You need to know who Marsha P. Johnson is. You know, you need to know who Sylvia Rivera is. You, you tell it. Wait, wait. Tell mm-hmm. us who they are. I know who Mar- I, I know Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. So they are the two, like they're the pioneers of pride. Yeah. Basically, they were the, so Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, they knew each other as well. So they were trans women um, who lived in New York City in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they're seen as like the f- people who threw the bricks during yeah. the Stonewall riots. Yeah. But they're also, um, they created the one of the first organizations that was out there to support trans youth, mm-hmm. especially because like we, we, you just said, like trans youth were, are really affected by homelessness yeah. and like poverty. Like there are yeah. high rates of those two things in, 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 especially in big cities and like trans youth coming out. We talked to Lyra Evans at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you guys, it's up somewhere. And you know, they talked about homelessness and yeah. being homeless and what that was like. And and that's when I learned that if you're going to give anything, give socks. Yep. Yeah. Socks are a big thing. But they're also... So Marsha P. Jan- Johnson and Sylvia Rivera started an organization. Um, it's called The Star. Mm-hmm. And it's of one of the, like, at least to the best of my knowledge, one of, like, the... F- first really like well organized like support system for trans folks Mm -hmm. um in new york city and it's grown into like a bigger organizing like it's it's um it's a predecessor of a lot of like the big queer organizing okay those things that we see but Mm -hmm. um marsha p johnson is yeah like if if you go to pride and you don't know those two names then you're not actually understanding queer history you don't boom you have to so, n- number four, don't assume one's respective pronouns. Even I have to, like, correct myself on this. Mm-hmm. It's learned behavior, right? Yeah. So, I think I think there's a lot more room for understanding and empathy for people who are trying. Yeah. Like, honestly trying. Like, you know. And so, if you don't know, ask. Um too often we live in a world where we are privileged as cisgender people um, and where uh, that privileged is an assumed standard. And so as we as we discover the myriad of genders, um, let's not assume that everybody either identifies as male or female. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what's the fifth one? Yes. Defend black trans people like you would anyone else. Yes. This is a civil rights issue. Mm. I really truly believe if you believe in civil rights, you believe in civil rights for all. If you don't, then you're going to have to check yourself as to why. But we're here to fight for each other and to lift each other up. Um, When you see black trans people are publicly discriminated against, harassed and killed, it is it's honestly heartbreaking and we need to do a better job as cisgender people um, to put our ignorance aside and prioritize safety for all. Yeah. And safety goes beyond like when we were talking earlier, it's physical and psychological. Like it has to go beyond like we need to be able to have trans folks feel comfortable in our spaces. I don't want to be in a black space if it's going to be transphobic. For those who don't know I'm black. I don't know if we ever said that, but basically it's Oh, assumed. right. <laughs> but Sorry. Like, She's black. <laughs> she is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um I don't think they did. <laughs> no, I don't think we ever mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I yeah, think. I know Bad and Bitchy is two black women now. I think they would have I think people would have figured <laughs> it out. <laughs> we're we're subversively <laughs> taking over. <laughs> Slowly but surely. But it is really important to talk about transphobia, not just within black spaces, but I think within queer spaces as well. There's a real issue when, like, the fact that at World Pride and the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, 
people were trying to stop black trans women from speaking. Yeah, and wasn't there a problem with uh, one of the Democratic debates on LGBTQ issues? They had that debate like maybe six yeah, weeks yeah. ago. And there it was noted for the lack of trans representation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I know that Pete Buttigieg has been called out for that too. Yeah. Being a part, because this is like a part of his community right and so quote unquote we're part of his community yeah yeah like, i know quote unquote i know i like, know i know i know yeah yeah he's problematic he is um so many he invents victims. black people who like him and then ma- <gasps> then pretend they endorse him did you see him. that oh my god it was so bad <laughs> that poor it. woman so she's kenyan for context <gasps> oh. so the picture of the stock photo that people judge it like used and like was grilled for it's actually a kenyan woman in kenya who has never been to the states oh wow so she got all of this like she became like in like instantaneous instantaneously famous and like has had to deal with like this back weird like exposure and feels really uncomfortable with it it's really bizarre um but yeah no he's trash um yeah, no, I think it's really important. Like, I'm glad you brought this forward because I think it's really important to to, to take a moment and really reflect on Trans Day of Remembrance and what it means. And, like, there's a lot of really interesting work that's being done in the States mm-hmm. and within Canada as well. And there are a lot of trans folks who are doing important work within our city in Ottawa as well. And we need to find ways to support them, to listen to them, and lift them up not just on trans day of remembrance of course but on this day it's it is our like we have to take pause and i think we all do it in different ways uh but connecting to organizations that are working with trans folks and supporting trans youth specifically because it's such a period of transition is so important so mine is a little bit different. I want to talk about uh, the Canadian Somali activist who, unfortunate human rights activist, Almas Alman, who was unfortunately killed last week. Um, so it's kind of a murky, like there's a lot of questions around her death. Um, so she was shot dead in Mog- in uh, in Somalia earlier th- last week. And, um, there's a lot of questions around her death because some folks, so that she, the African union says that she was struck by a straight bullet, but, uh, people who are close to her, her family and, uh, people that she works closely with have actually got disputed the claim and say that it was actually, it feels like it was a targeted killing. It wasn't a straight bullet and they, uh, want an investigation. They have gained the support of a lot of, um, folks whether it's and there's also a call for a canadian government the canadian to the canadian government to do a joint investigation um so for context uh almas alman is part of a wave of somali people who grew up in the diaspora who have decided to come back to somalia to help rebuild the country and unfortunately over the past couple of years uh quite a few women specifically Women, some Somali women uh, activists have been killed. How many? Off the top of my head, I can think of three. In what time frame? In the past four years. Okay. And they're all women, you said? All women. The, the ones I can think of are all women. Okay. And it's been the same idea. Bombings, shootings, very targeted attacks. That's... That's like an execution. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think there's a, there's a global trend... Uh, a lot of gender-based violence. This is gender-based violence in my eyes. Um, and uh, the family has been trying to get investigations to pull up, to, to start up and like to, to have a bigger conversation around what's happening. But there is, there is a wider context of violence against women activists specifically. And, and why, why Somalian female activists? There's a piece in here I'm missing. Um, why Somali peace? Well, th- there's also what is what is the context around that? So Somalia, for context, is a country that has been going through a lot of civil unrest since 1991. Yeah. Um, and right now, Somalia in the past couple of years has been going through a process of rebuilding. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of people from the diaspora, whether it's Canadian, European, or U.S., there's a very, very big population of Somali Americans yeah. yeah. have been deciding to go back and live in Somalia to help rebuild the country, whether it's economic development, whether it's political development. And a lot of the people at the forefront of that movement are women. Okay. That's a thing. Now, now I'm going to make a, I'm mm-hmm. going to make a connection here. Are the, is that the community that who settled mostly in Minnesota and who elected yes. e- Ilhan Omar? So there's a really, I think the biggest population outside of uh, Somalia of Somalians is in Minnesota. That is so fucking random. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of Somalis in Minnesota. Wow. A lot of Somalis. Minnesota is fucking cold. It is. It's like, very cold. But they like prairie Somalis, cold. a lot of Somalis in uh, Minnesota. Okay. It's like also like Ottawa has a decent population of yes, Somalis. Yes, they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. a lot of Ethiopians. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in the migration of people. Patterns, yeah. yeah. And migration patterns and how they, how those migration patterns change the overall you know yeah. composition and culture yeah. of, a of the place. place yeah i'm really like i love that shit yeah. no. and so i'm really interested into why somalians are in minnesota why why they're ended why up minnesota? in minnesota yeah i don't know and why think, ethiopians in washington dc i think part of it is um if you guys know if someone knows i think i've read a bit about it i'm not again this is from memory from quite a few years ago but i think um when people, especially when you're going through the UNHCR and all that stuff mm-hmm. and through the process, I think at that time, Minnesota had either already a bit of a established Somali population and they okay. were willing to sponsor people over mm-hmm. or... It could have been a pull factor. It could have been a pull factor. Yeah. Or I think the state itself, through some lobbying from communities, made it easier for people to settle there. Yeah. One of those two. I'm not another, sure. Another offshoot of activism. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And protect activists at all costs. But I Protect think activists at all costs. But I think that's why this is also a story to take note of and to keep track of. I think quite a few women are dying being agents of change yeah. when they're becoming noticeable. So another big thing piece that's missing from this is Almas Alman, her sister, I believe, was nominated for the no- Nobel Peace Prize for oh, her really? work in Somalia. Oh, really? So it's not was like, that this year? Uh, I think last year. Okay. So it's not like these people are not doing anything. It's people who are actually becoming agents of change who are slowly being taken off the map. Yeah. And if we're going to be talking about wider movements, we have to be careful of we have to keep an eye on what's going on around the world. I agree. And this is something that's really concerning to me. Well, that's what you bring, Barbara. Look at that. All right. So that is our episode for this week. Um, you can find us on social. Uh, if you guys have anything to add to what we say that's not like hate, um, <laughs> you know, tweet at tweet us. Don't forget to retweet us and or email us. Bye!